so if we're honest, we all approach Scripture with some baggage, good and bad. But we all approach Scripture with a little bit of baggage or a little bit of background, either how we were raised, the church we were raised into, or spiritual experiences that we've had along the way. And so here's what we'd like as we walk through this today is look at this issue of worship. Now listen, we're not a perfect church. And we've never said that we're a perfect church, but we do desire to be a biblical church, that we'd be able to open up his word and see what his word says and allow his word to speak to us. And so if you've been with us on this series in the book of Nehemiah, you know it's, no, it's a story about a group of people that were once very, very faithful to God. I mean, they walked with God and they observed the ordinances of God and they, they, they walked with him in a very deep way. And for whatever reason, they went into exile and they walked away from him and they were once very faithful and now they're, they're disobedient They're unfaithful to him. And they lived like that for a number of years, and nobody had to try to convince them the consequences of sin and what happens when you sin. And so so the first seven chapters in the book of Nehemiah was them coming back to him. And they begin coming back to him. And so this is like the first worship service. Nehemiah chapter 8 is the first worship service that they experienced when they just when they just came back to him. I remember, there is a period in my life, and maybe your testimony is a lot like mine, there is a time in my life when I walked away from him. And right after college, when I came back to him, I still remember that first worship service. I remember the music grabbed me. I, it was like the preacher had been following me around. That ever happened to you? kind of creep me out like is he in my home does he have my phone tapped I mean what is what is going on here and I still remember and it's the story of this group of people Nehemiah chapter 8 if you have your Bibles uh, boy I'd invite you to to turn there as we begin looking at this issue of 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 worship and this issue of 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 just the church see what makes the church different than any other organization is this it's where the presence of God is There's a lot of wonderful organizations out there that do a lot of good things and do a lot of wonderful things. And and there are organizations that do school supplies for kids and, and, uh, and help people and feed the hungry and all this other stuff. But what separates the church from any other organization, it's where the presence of God is felt, that you know God is there, but it's also the place where people honor God. And people are willing to respond to him in a deep and in a personal way. And so this group of people, they're coming back to him. And there's three principles that we can learn about this issue of worship. Because worship means, worship means something different to everybody. And so we just kind of want to understand where we're at as a church on this issue of worship. The first thing is this. When people come back to God, the Bible is a priority in their life. When people come back to God, the scripture, the Bible... It becomes a huge priority in their life. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 1. Here's what the scripture says. And all the people. And all the people gathered. As one man. Into the square. Before the water gate. You see that? They all gathered as one person. As one man. There was unity. There was unity in worship. What good was it for Nehemiah to rebuild a wall if there wasn't unity? What good is it to have a church 
to where there's not unity, to where there's not worship, to where people don't know each other, to where the word of God is not preached, to where the presence of God is not felt, to where people don't respond to him. I mean, this is a worship service with 50,000 people. 50,000 people had gathered. Fact is, it was the whole town. Can you imagine what Pueblo, Colorado would be like if revival happened like that in our community? See, for revival to happen, it first has to happen in you. Before God can revive a church, it starts with you. Before God touches a city, it starts with you. It starts with me. Personal revival always leads to corporate revival. Can you imagine if that ever happened in Pueblo, Colorado? And a visitor rolls through and even Walmart is closed. The gas stations are closed. The stores are closed. Nothing is open. Nobody is on the streets and they finally find somebody and say, what is going on here? And someone looks at them and tells them, oh, the whole city, the whole town is out at the reservoir. The reservoir, what are they doing there? They are worshiping God. They are bowing down before him. They are worshiping God. And they're giving him honor and they're giving him glory. I mean, wouldn't it be something if we understood that when people come back to God, the Bible is a priority in their life. Do you read his word? Does it bore you? Do you take time? I mean, is the Bible a priority in your life? Psalms 1, 1 through 3, one of my favorite groups of scripture, it talks about this. It said, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight is in the Bible. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, in all that he does, he prospers. Wouldn't it be something if we really believed that verse? Wouldn't it be something if we really, truly believed that verse, that if I will open up his word, that if I will read his word, that if I will let his work speak to me, that my life will prosper in every area, whether it's family, whether it's relationships, whether it's business, whether it's marriage, whether it's dating, whether it's parenting, that whether it's the decisions that I make, that if I will open up his word, and if I will just read it, And if I will meditate on it, think about it, that's all it is. Just think about his word. I'll prosper. And I'll be like a tree planted. A tree that its leaves do not wither. No matter what I go through. No matter what the circumstances are like, wouldn't it be something if we believed the Bible to that point to where the Bible actually had priority in our life? But many of us, we don't read it. Why? Because we're too busy. We've got too much to do. And he goes on, the scripture goes on. And they told Ezra, Ezra was like the priest, Nehemiah the governor. So Ezra is their pastor. And they told Ezra the scribe, to bring out the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. 
When people come back to God, when people walk with God, there is a desire, there is a hunger for his word because it feeds their soul. And they told Ezra, just bring out the book. Just read the word. Just read the scripture to us. You didn't have to convince them for the need of the word in their life. Why? Because they knew what it was like to live without the word in their life. They knew what it was like to forget his word, no longer read his word, no longer apply his word to their life. Nobody had to convince them of the consequences. And Ezra had been preaching for like 14 years. You read the book of Ezra, it's about his life. He'd been preaching for 14 years. This was like any other service to him. Never did you see that Ezra had this type of response like he is about to happen here. And it's the faithful preaching, it's the faithful reading of his word day in and day out. You ever had those moments in, man, our life journal, many people in our church life journal, and some people use different ways and to read through the scripture and apply it to their life. But you can read scripture daily. And there may not be much there, and it's kind of dry or whatever, but then that day comes. When God speaks to you in a deep way, and you that verse is for me. That, ber- that verse speaks to my soul. It happened to Dwayne this last week. He was life journaling, and by 9 o'clock that morning, everybody knew his life journal verse. He couldn't help but tell everybody. And Ezra had been preaching for 14 years. Is the consistent preaching of God's word. This last year, many of you were, were with us then, and, and God laid a burden on my heart that many of us needed to just be obedient and follow the Lord in baptism. And so we did a spontaneous baptism day. Remember that? And, and I just preached a simple message on baptism. And, and by the end, by 20, in 24 hours, we baptized 110 people in this church. It was an unbelievable thing. It just, it just kept going, and people just kept coming, and it was, it was amazing. And, and here's the crazy deal. I'd preached that sermon before with not much results. It's the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God and the faithful preaching of His Word and the faithful reading of His Word. And, and these people understood the priority on His Word. Listen. You will never bring out the book in your life if you never believe it's the Word of God. You will never bring out the Word in your life if you don't believe there's power. And if you don't believe that's how God speaks to you, if you don't believe it's life to you, you will never bring out the Word and read it and apply it to your life if you don't believe there's power in it. More people in our nation cared more for the decision of LeBron James, whether he stays at Cleveland or goes to Miami, than open the word that day to hear what God would have to say to them. Higher rated, hour and 15 minute ESPN special than idol, than the NBA finals, 
just to hear where a basketball player is going to play for next year. You'll never bring out his word until you believe it has power. So Ezra, the priest, verse 2, brought the law before the assembly, so he brings out the Bible. Both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month, and he read from it facing the square, the water gate. That's so important. There's symbols all through Scripture, and, and the water gr- gr- gate has great meaning. Jesus says, I am the living water. If you drink from me, you'll never thirst again. Ephesians tells us that you were washed by the water of the word. And you are cleansed. And so he brings out the word and he's facing, I mean, what imagery for him. And he's facing the water gate. Uh, from early in the morning until midday. This will fire any preacher up. This was a six-hour service. Nobody left. They were there because they were hungry. In the presence of the men and women and those who could understand, and that's so important. And the ears of all the people were, were distracted, didn't really pay attention, going through some ritual. The ears of all the people, not some of the people, not part of the people, the ears of all the people were attentive. Attentive to what? Attentive to the book of the law. Because his word was life to them. Because they believed that, you know what? A man, a woman who meditates on the law of the, wor- of the, law- of the Lord will prosper in all that he does and all that she does. And here's the interesting thing, is that it says all those who could understand. It was adults. The adults were in the big worship service, and guess what? They had a children's ministry. I mean, you're going to find as we walk through these scriptures today, why we do what we do. It isn't because we just dreamed this stuff up and said, hey, this would be kind of cool to do in church. No, they, they put the, the men and the women the adults, those that were old enough to understand the law of the word in a service, and they had a children's ministry to where there's age-appropriate teaching, to where moms and dad were not distracted, but they were attentive to the word, and they could hear the word, and they could respond to the word because the word of God had high value in their life. And they weren't bored, and they weren't distracted. They weren't reading stuff, sending text messaging, answering emails, updating Facebook, writing notes. But they are attentive to the Word of God because it's life to them. And this group of people worshipped. Man, they worshipped through the Word. Worship. When you ask the average, average person what is worship, usually it comes back, it's singing. That is just one element. That is only one element of worship. Worship is more than that. There are all kinds of elements in worship, and singing is only part of it. Preaching is a, 
Preaching is worship. Prayer is worship. Giving our offerings is worship. Music is just one way in which we worship. Worship is when we're willing to meet with God. Worship is a response. Worship in the scriptures is a reflexive verb that means I am the subject and I did the action. I hit myself with my hand. It's something I have to do to myself. Worship is a response. Worship is a response to a God who has done so much for us and what he has done in our life. Some people say, well, well, worship really, the word worship comes from two words. It means to give worth to something. No, the demons give worth to God and they don't worship. God is worthy whether we give him worship or not, whether we honor him or not. He is worthy. I almost thought about titling this message because worship is such a struggle for so many people. I almost thought about titling this, titling this message, Are We Dumber Than Rocks? Because <laughs> Scripture says this. Scripture says, Jesus says, Hey, if you don't worship me, then the rocks will cry out. I will be worshiped. I will be given honor. I will be given glory. And these people understood what worship was. Worship means that I submit my life to someone greater than I. That I submit and I humble myself. That if I'm going to worship, I must do something to myself first before I worship. I must get rid of my pride. I must get rid of my arrogancy. I must get rid of dependency on self. I must get rid of all of that and submit myself to him. Worship is saying, there is no other that I worship than you. Worship is not something that we do at a diff distance. Worship is not something that we're spectators to. Worship is something that we're participants in. I was raised in a denomination that really didn't see the value in worship. And it, it was just kind of the stuff that we did before the preaching. We were all about truth, but we weren't about worship. And Jesus says, you worship me, what? In spirit and in truth. You need both. And we had very little emotion. And then I went away to seminary. And I was required to take a class called worship. And, I'm, and I don't want to take the class. The fact is, I, I went to the dean. I tried to get out of it. I said, I'm going to be a preacher, not a worship leader. Like, you got to take the class. Because I didn't value worship. I understand some of your journeys here this morning. I didn't understand worship, and I didn't understand what it was. And I went into this worship class, and it rocked my world. For the very first time, I had an individual, Dr. Sheehan, which I will ever be so indebted and grateful to. I still send him thank you notes about what he did for me in my life and my ministry. And he was the first person that ever took the word and just opened up 
the word. And worship wasn't based upon denomination. It wasn't based upon tradition. It wasn't based upon personalities because some would say it's all about personalities. No. Your wife tells you that one of the ways I feel loved is when you give me gifts. You're going to tell her at her birthday, sorry, it's just not my personality. God didn't wire me to give gifts. And he opened up the word. And we started in Genesis. I've never taken so many notes. I confess stuff. My attitude to worship. His definition for worship, it is not mine. It says worship is a proper state of submission, existence before God. It acknowledges who he has been, who he is now, and who he will be. And it recognizes who I was, who I am now, and who I will be. To worship, you've got to honestly look at yourself, and you've got to honestly look at him. When these people were engaged in worship, they remembered what it was like when we walked away from him and who he was. That even in their disobedience, he still pursued them. Even in their unfaithfulness, he still loved them. He still forgave them. He still wanted to have a relationship with them. And when they came back to him, he welcomed them home. No guilt. No condemnation. We have to look at ourselves of our sin, our actions, and we have to look at him. There are people in our community, our country, our world, that do a much better job at worshiping false gods than we do worshiping the one and only true God. And they are more passionate. The second thing about this is is, well, let's just keep going. Let's read through. Let, watch this. Look at the different postures of worship. So they had a platform that he stood on. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. So you got 50,000 people. You got Ezra on a platform, maybe like this one here. And then watch this. And they had a Bible. We worship how? In spirit and in truth. You need both. You need the presence of God and you need the truth. You need his word. Verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people for he was above all the people. It wasn't that Ezra was above the people. It was the word picture that God's word is over you. They had a high view of his word. They understood that his word is over. Listen, we live in a critical society of the Bible. There are a lot of critics of Scripture. There are a lot of people that believe, you know what? The Bible's not over me. I'm over the Bible. I choose what parts of the Bible I believe and what parts I don't believe. I don't know if the Bible's really true. I mean, I'll take the Scriptures. I love those Scriptures about I get to go to heaven Scriptures. I mean, I love that stuff. I love the stuff about forgiveness. I mean, I love that stuff. But there's some scriptures in there. I don't believe they apply today. I don't believe they're really for me. I don't really believe God expects for me to live like that. See, they had the, the Bible, the word, above the people because it was a picture. And then watch this. And they stood and worship. 
And as he opened the word, all the people stood. Our president of the United States of America walked in on this platform, this whole room would stand in respect to an office, in respect to a position. And they stood out of reverence. And they stood out of respect. And Ezra, Ezra blessed the Lord. And then watch this. And they responded. They responded. And as Ezra blessed the great God, and all the people said, Amen and Amen. Let it be true. Let it be so. Let it be true in my life. Exactly what you're saying. Let that be true in my life. And then watch this. And they had passion in worship. And here's a phrase that makes many of us nervous. And they lifted hands. I wasn't raised. I wasn't raised in a background that did that. That was a huge struggle. I mean, I was one of those, you know, I'll, I'll clap, I'll sit, I'll stand, but that's it. Someone might think I'm weird, strange, whatever. And I'm on a spiritual journey, and you're on a spiritual journey. And they bowed their heads. And they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. That's what happens when revival happens in a person's life. They care more what God thinks of them than what others around them think. What people think of you is irrelevant. It's what God thinks of you that matters. Worship. Worship is between you and God and I mean I just I remember the church that I was raised in and if you raised a hand fact is I never saw it but we just all knew if someone did because we had a visitor well anyway it's not worth the story but (laughs) I remember being raised in Texas church Super Bowl Sunday would come and we'd do the church and then Super Bowl party because usually the Cowboys were playing I'm just, I'm just telling you, that's the way it was then. Not anymore. I heard that. Who said that? I won't know who said that. I see that hand. And then we'd go to the Super Bowl party. People going nuts, yelling and screaming. Even as a kid, I could ask, answer, ask that same question. Why is it we just came out of a worship service and people say, oh, you don't understand, I'm reserved. I'm quiet. It's just not my personality. They're painted blue, stars all over them. <laughs> Doing stupid stuff. For a football team. For a football team. Even as a kid, I'd ask, what is wrong with that picture? what people around you think. And, I, and I, you know, sports fans are great at this. They really don't care what people around them think about the teams that they support. See, this group of people believed with all their heart 
that if they understood and applied the scriptures, their life would be blessed. They understand blessed is the man who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. And then watch this, verse 7, the Levites helped the people understand the law while the people remained in their places. Do you realize that sermon-based life groups that we do here? Ezra is preaching, Ezra is teaching. We don't just dream this stuff up. We don't just say, hey, that'd be cool. We're not a perfect church. We desire to be a biblical church. You realize they bought into the principle, they believe that there needs to be the large group, but there needs to be the small group? Can we study the law together? We study the Bible together? That's why we have sermon-based life groups here, so that we can take what is done on the weekends, Saturday and Sunday, and then get into small groups and discuss it. And look at this, verse 8. And they read, not just Ezra, they read. Not just one person, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. And they gave the sense so that the people, what? Understood the reading. It is no help to you to read scripture and not understand it. That is no value to you. There are some denominations that read, and I've studied There are some denominations that over the course of the year in their services will read over 4,000 scriptures in a year. But nobody understands because they never stop and give meaning or sense to the word. Second thing is this. When people come back to God, their joy is restored. We're going to move real quickly now. Verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites, who who what? Taught the people, said to to all the people, the day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn and weep. Why are they mourning and weeping? That is a great question. I am glad you ask. They're reading the word and they're mourning and they're weeping. Why? Because they're broken over their sin. They're broken that they walked away from him. And even though they walked away from him and they were faithless, They learned that God was still faithful to them and God still pursued them and God still desired them and God still desired to have a relationship with them. For all the people wept. Man, they wept as they heard the words of the Lord. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. There is grief over sin. But listen, there is grief over sin, but God does not intend for you to stay there. Now, I know some of you come out of denominations. And that's what makes this church so great is we have so many different backgrounds and we have so many spiritual, different spiritual backgrounds. And there are some denominations that want you to stay in mourning over your sin. They want you to stay in grief over your sin. And they want you to feel the the guilt of what you've done. But I need to tell you that God does not intend for you to stay there. You don't weep forever. You don't mourn forever. We understand our grief. And we mourn over our sin. But we're also reminded 
that God has forgiven us, that God has taken our sin and he has put it behind his back, never to look on it again. He has taken our sin and put it as far as the east is from the west. East and west never touch. God does not treat us as our sins deserve. Yes, we weep. Yes, we mourn. Yes, we grieve over our sin. But God does not intend for us to stay there. You and I should walk out of every worship service with more joy than we walked in. If you need joy in your life, you need the word. If you need joy in your life, you need to worship. If you need joy in your life, you need to understand and get someone to help you understand because the joy of the Lord is your strength. The prodigal, when he wandered from God, it says when he was in the pig pen, he came to his senses and he realized who God was and who God is and who God will be. And he realized who he was. And when he came back, what was the first thing? The father, there was a picture of God, welcomed him, and then what they do? Throw a party. Celebrate. You don't mourn in your sin forever. There comes the time when you've got to realize that the blood of Jesus Christ covers your sin. The last thing is this, when people come back to God, man, they walk away different. There is not a picture in the New Testament where people met Christ and they just continue to live the same life they'd always been living. Just the promise of heaven now. It was just changed. Watch this, verse 11. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions to make great rejoicing. Because what? Because they understood the words that were declared to them. The power of scripture is not just hearing it, but it is understanding it and it is knowing how to apply it to your life. That's why sermon-based life groups are critical to your soul and critical to your life. Or many other life groups that we have in ladies and men's and ministry and the others. On the second day, the heads of fathers and houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. Worship does not end at a service. It's, it's a continue. All that we do should be worship. Worship is not music. There's elements to worship. And worship is not just what we do in here. It's how we live our life. And the men were so touched. You talk about revival happening when the men, that's why we have a men's ministry. That's why we have men's life group. When men came and says, how do we live our life to honor God? Tell us what the scriptures say. And men, we've got to understand my walk and my talk impacts my family. My walk and my talk, whether we like it or not, impacts. It impacts my family. When revival happens in a church, when a revival happens in a community, is when men say, I want to lead my family. Tell me what the word says. And there's this focus of large group and small groups. And so these men take the Bible and they open up the law. They had the first five books. I mean, can you imagine getting really jazzed over the book of Leviticus? (laughs) They were because they were hungry for his word. Many of the books of the Bible that don't matter much to us were lighting these people up. And they're reading in the Bible. 
And these men are reading, they're reading along with Ezra, and they come to the part when, 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 when the people of Israel were in the desert, in the wilderness with Moses. Remember that? And so they were moving every day, so Moses had them live in little huts, or booths is what they would call them, and they would move, and, they, and it was a reminder of how faithful God was. And they're reading along, and you could read the rest of Nehemiah for yourself, and they're reading along, and they realize that God has set aside a time of year, once a year, that they are to lead their families to live in booths again, huts. Still do this in Israel today. And it was a reminder to them how God was faithful, how God provided. And they led their family to do that. Verse 17. And all the assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and lived in, in the tents far from the days of Joshua the son of Nun to the day the, the people of Israel had not done so these men were broken I haven't been doing that in my family I haven't been leading my family that way because my talk and my walk impacts my family And there wasn't just a little bit of rejoicing. There was very great rejoicing because these men made a commitment. To lead their family. The way the scriptures instruct. Worship is not something... that we invite God to. You'll hear that from time to time. Someone say, God, we invite your presence in this place. I mean, it's a great worship moment, I guess. I don't know. Worship leaders like to say that. God, we invite your presence. Worship is not something we invite God to. Worship is something he invites us to. And he invites us to worship. Jesus said to worship him, you have to worship him in spirit and truth. That's not postures of worship. So for worship to happen, God must reveal himself to us. We must respond to him in the truth. The Bible guides us. So the question to you today is how are you going to respond to him? Worship team is going to come out and like I've told you, this is a service in reverse and I just thought it would be good to walk through the scriptures and see what, it, what the Bible says about worship. And then let's have a time that we get to practice what we've just learned about. And if you want to say amen, you say amen. If you want to raise your hands, you raise your hands. If you want to sit before him, if you want to stand, you sit, you stand. If you want to express gratitude to him, you express gratitude to him this morning. There are going to be no prayer partners down here. If you want to come and you want to bow and kneel before him, like the scripture instructs, you do that. I can tell you, when my life changed about this issue of worship, was when I'd taken a worship class and gone through all that. And then I was... And I was thinking about worship and praying about worship. And, and it was like, God just, God just communicated. 
And it's like God just communicated to me. He said, Charlie, that's going to quit in a minute. He's like, Charlie, what would you do? What would you do if you're in a worship service and I stepped out on the platform? What would you do? And I thought about that. And then it's like he just whispered to me and says, I'm here. I'm here. It's the presence of God. It's the word of God. And it's how we respond. We're going to give you a chance to show him and enter into worship with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for grace. Father, we want to worship you and we want to bring honor and glory to you. Father, would we sense your presence? Would we know that you're here? Father, would we develop a people that, that loves you and doesn't pick and choose what part of a service they like and they don't like, but they would want to worship you in all the elements of what you've asked us to do. Father, this morning we remember what you have done for us and may we show gratitude and thankfulness. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.